and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I am Sean Farrell. I'm a writer, and I'm the older brother of Matt Farrell, who is going to say hello now. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about his most recent episode, which is titled How Carbon Nanotubes Might Boost Solar Energy. This is from July 7th, 2020, and it includes images of a space elevator. <laughs> yes. A few times. <laughs> so let me just say how cool I think space elevators are. Yes. <laughs> and I think the big takeaway from all of this is space elevators. Yeah, there was somebody in the comments that said, with the smirk on my face as I said it, it's clear I'm not an aerospace engineer. And I'm not sure if that was a put down or what. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an aerospace engineer. <laughs> <laughs> The space elevator led to something that it was a bad joke on your part. Mm -hmm. Expectations were high. Yes. Almost as high <laughs> as a <laughs> space elevator. I, I almost did a wink with like a little ding sound. <laughs> so with the carbon nanotubes, I think the biggest issue that everybody needs to deal with is the fact that our future appears to be focused entirely on chicken wire. Yes, yes. Those little hexagonal structures are going to be everywhere, Sean. Suddenly, our future looks like a dilapidated farm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> on a microscopic scale. <laughs> on a microscopic scale. Extremely tiny little farms. <laughs> There's an absurdist part of me that says that's fantastic. <laughs> yes. That we're basically <laughs> scientists in lab coats looking through microscopes. And, uh, Gentlemen, I think I've discovered it looks like chicken wire. Are those tiny bitty chickens? <laughs> Are those tiny chickens? They're not getting out. It must be chicken wire. So this video um, and the comments d demonstrate this. I think this is a lot of information about a lot of different things. Yes. And each one of them individually could be a standalone video. Yeah. So yeah. you have like, one of the ones that stood out for me was the idea of creating a polymer like nanotube solution. If I understand it correctly, that effectively could allow the nanotube to be used in almost any shape or product. Yeah. It's basically like forming it like a plastic almost. Yeah. So whatever you can make out of plastics, how we form that, it's like this could be something very, very similar. So you could have car bodies you could have airplane i mean the outer casing it would effectively it would make it do i understand it properly that it could also make it it would make it super strong yes but also because there's metallic carbon nanotubes and ones that like so they conduct electricity really well it's like this could be used to form basically circuitry and different right patterns of things to redirect heat or electrical flows it's but it but it's easy to mold just like plastics. So it's like the something like that could have a profound impact on how mm -hmm. things like we make electronics, like smartwatches and it you name it. It's like there's so many different possibilities where this could potential potentially go. It's kind of hard to kind of wrap your brain around it. But of course, this is in the lab. <laughs> it's it's only in the lab right now. So is the vision something along the lines of with that kind of technology, you would have 
eventually be able to shrink the size of some things to minuscule levels so that you could have circuitry boards that would be much smaller than current boards because you could effectively what's well, the that's the promise of graphene which i've right. talked about in a previous video it's it's basically a very similar thing because these carbon nanotubes are made of graphene so it's like it, they're tightly linked um this is kind of an extension of that previous tightly video. linked like chicken wire yeah, like chicken wire <laughs> <laughs> That's my space elevator moment. Wink. Ding. Another element that stood out for me was the image of the two women holding a hole. <laughs> I, I, I so want to see Vanta Black in person because in the pictures, yeah. it's incredible to look at in pictures. But every person, every every report that I read about reporters and people that saw it in person, they always said the same thing of like, you can't comprehend how mind-bending this stuff is to see in person because mm -hmm. it doesn't translate in photos. Right. Because it looks like you're just looking into a gaping chasm when you're seeing it in person. It's like, right. <laughs> it's kind of mind-blowing to me. Yeah, I keep going back to Roadrunner cartoons. Yes. I envision <laughs> using that to, of a to paint a hole in the side of a mountain <laughs> and then going through it and then the coyote comes up and hits it. Yeah. The images look doctored. Is what yes. it is. Yes. It looks very much like you've used Photoshop on a picture of two women holding something and you've just put a black circle in the middle of the image. Yes. Um, and then as you point out, you would like to see a car painted with this in person. Which BMW I can imagine, did. Yeah, I can BMW imagine it would it. feel like you were looking at an optical illusion. I imagine there's a lot of dissonance in your brain as your brain is trying to decipher what it's looking at. Yes, yes. But beyond that, somebody in your comments pointed out, what would that do to speed guns? Like, it, <laughs> it, they wouldn't, they probably wouldn't, wouldn't be able to read it, right? <laughs> yes. it, it would absorb the light. It would absorb the light from, <laughs> I mean, you could have a, a police officer aiming a speed gun at a car and it would come back as zero miles per hour as the car blurred by. And that made me think, you put that on a car, you, effect, you effectively have kit from Knight Rider. It's, it's a stealth vehicle at that point. And the, somebody pointed out in the comments, I would not want to want to have that paint on my car in Arizona because the amount of heat it would absorb from the sun. <laughs> <laughs> but, then I, but then my response was, that is true unless they did something with the carbon nanotubes that could redirect that heat around the car. <laughs> right. <laughs> the car pulls out of a parking spot and there's a car-shaped burn mark in the asphalt yes. below it. Just exactly. smoldering, bubbling. <laughs> the car the? slowly descends into the asphalt because yeah. it's melting the ground below it. <laughs> uh, effective, one of the things that that could do, could you have that, if that's absorbing light, which would take in the heat, Yes, is that then also a potential for solar panels that would not be the transparent ones or do or do all does all solar panel technology become impacted at higher heats and stop working well like would it be it would completely counteract the solar panel activity i wonder solar panels get less efficient when they get hot so that would be bad right. um but there's that in the same video where i talked about how they were redirecting uh the heat energy from the sun the infrared energy and turning it into light so that the solar panels could then absorb it. Mm -hmm. It's like, imagine doing that with this Vanta Black material on a car. So yeah, it is absorbing all that infrared heat from the sun, 
But the, if it could convert it <laughs> into light. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so God, this car is so hot. And why are the lights so bright? It's, it's so your bright dash, outside. Your dashboard is blinding. <laughs> are those oh your high God. beams? God, I hope not. I mean, that, that reaches levels of technology intersection that start to feel a little bit like they were designed by Dolly. One of the things that did occur to me during watching the video was you really have to go into a rabbit hole into this kind of research. I imagine the people, you're doing something without any clear practical applications currently. And the people who are doing this research are doing things like, it's two women holding a hole. So, yes. <laughs> so somebody doesn't go into research to say like, I want to create a material that would absorb all light. That wouldn't be your goal. Well, it's, it's kind of like art or any kind of yeah. creative process. It's like you're starting out, you don't know exactly what you're going to do. There's just kind of this amorphous idea. Yeah. And then as you're doing these experiments, you're like, holy cow, you can make it so it absorbs all light. Well, what could we do with that? And so then you right. start to go down that rabbit hole. It's like, it's got to be stuff like that. But I, I don't know specifically for Phantom Black yeah. if it was an accident or not. <laughs> yeah. It really is sort of a fascinating, and then there's also just the idea of like, imagine having a room in your house where you've got one wall painted with that. <laughs> <laughs> a home, th yeah. a home theater, a home where theater the walls are painted just, in like, black. <laughs> the one wall behind the screen is painted with Vanta black so that when you're watching something, it's just a floating image in the middle of a wall. I mean, that's kind of, in certain ways it's impractical and probably uh, ridiculous, but part of me thinks I'd like to see that once. Have you ever been into an anechoic chamber? No. Uh, which is a completely soundproofed, sound-absorbing room where there's no sound reflections of any kind. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I went into one and I had to leave after being in it for about 30 seconds because I yeah. started to get claustrophobic because yeah. it you start to actually hear the blood going through your veins. Yeah, that's why I'm... And it's I'm not really joking. weird. As you're describing it, I'm starting to have a panic attack. <laughs> so it's like, I went in, I was like, wow, this is crazy. And the guy was in there with like, yeah, isn't it? And I was like, I got to leave now. <laughs> I'm starting to get cold chills and I might yeah. pass out. Yeah. Imagine yeah. a room that's painted all in black and you walk, walk into a room of Vanta Black. It, it would be just like that. It would be probably yeah. very disorienting to be in a room like that. Well, it's that kind of sensory deprivation that's been played with in, you know, it's it's been a part of science fiction going back decades of the idea of unlocking levels of human consciousness because of sens sensory deprivation. Your brain is able to then activate in ways that it normally wouldn't. And uh, I believe it was the movie Altered States played with that as one of its key conceits. Um, mm -hmm. And for me... Like another movie that played with that was the movie Simon, which I don't know if you remember that movie. Um, it's Alan Arkin. And oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I do yeah, remember that. He, he is a scientist who uh, through a government pro program becomes convinced that he's an alien and then it becomes, he goes off and is trying to bring a message of peace to humanity, even though he's not really an alien, mm -hmm. but one of the, 
opening scenes of that movie that I always enjoy was he goes into a sensory deprivation chamber and they close the lid and his assistant realizes that the oxygen tank isn't working properly. So oxygen is not being pumped into the tank and they open it back <laughs> up and he emerges and he, and he immediately goes, Oh my God, what an experience. The universe opened up in front of me. How long was I in there? And they were like 20 seconds. <laughs> it's a very good uh 19 early 1970s screwball slapstick uh comedy in that vein wasn't madeline khan in that i think she was uh, in i don't remember if she's in it um but it's full of that guys you know, like both men and women where you're like you're like yeah. oh yeah that guy that woman i know them in your comments there's First of all, most of the comments seem to be revolving around, wow, this is amazing. So that's, you know, I'll, I'll leave, you know, 95% of the comments out because they revolve around that idea. But I did want to bring up a couple of comments from your viewers, including Kevin McMahon, who wrote that it appears that to grow perfect crystals, sensors, carbon tubes, and graphene sheets and such, we may have to make them in orbit. Billions of processors, chips, cells in a volume no bigger than a loaf of bread. There, they would have no influence of gravity, made in a vacuum, with no cross-contamination of errant particles. Space manufacturers will be the new gold mine of the future. After that, it will be us mining asteroids. Very much a sci-fi comment, but it yeah. did make <laughs> me... It, it, his comment and vision of not only a perfect vacuum, but the lack of gravitational effect... You described that one of the difficulties of the nanotube um, production is that they effectively come out in knots. Yeah, they're all mashed together and yeah. you have to, the separating them is the biggest, hardest part. Seems to me like gravity might not in fact be the impact there. That no. The nanotubes themselves are, you called it chicken wire. Um if chicken wire is spontaneously being created through a process where humans are activating a molecular recombination where it's spontaneously creating loops and tubes of chicken wire, gravity's not having an impact on that probably because I imagine gravity's impact on a molecule that small is negligible. Yeah, it wouldn't have much of an impact. I did wonder though... Is there any sort of research into, and obviously you may not know about it, but that would use centrifugal force in production to create what would be instead of knots, but long strands, almost like spun sugar? I don't know if it's centrifugal force or anything like that, but they do make long strands of carbon nanotubes. And I, I didn't go into it in the video, but there is concerns about uh, carbon nanotubes around the fact that it's very asbestos-like. And there's a concern about like what's the impact on human physiology if you inhale this, because they are very tiny threads and fibers. It's very fibrous at a molecular level. And so there's there's concerns about it being a carcinogen or causing scarring and damage to the human lungs. And the research that's out there right now talked uh, that I found was there's ways around this because it depends on how long you make them. So like you were talking about making long, like 
sugar like strands it's like they can do that but the length and the diameter plays a role in how concerned we have to be about human physiology with it and evidently like the smaller the, they make it and i think also the shorter they make it the there's like not much of a concern the bigger the diameter and the more long fibrous it is it becomes more concerning like asbestos Mm. And it was kind of like the opposite. I would have expected, oh, bigger's probably safer. And it's like, no, bigger's actually Yeah, I was thinking dangerous. the same thing. But as you describe it, I imagine there's a point where it's so small that your body doesn't even recognize that there's a thing. Well, it was like, it was like that, uh, my previous video where I showed the giant cell that was bouncing along those little spikes. Right. Um, it's the same thing. It's like, it's, they're so tiny. Human cells are just like, whatever, because they don't impacted at all but if it's large enough it could potentially puncture and cause issues on human cells so it's it's kind of interesting that it's kind of counterintuitive if you until you think about it howard guard writes hi matt another great video i've been following a technology based on solar rectifying antennae which use carbon nanotubes and diodes to convert energy in a similar way that a radio aerial converts radio waves to sound signals a company called Novasolix claims to have a working prototype at around 45% efficiency with a pathway to 80 to 90%. I was invited to their offices for a demonstration, but I'm based in the UK and can't travel at the moment. We'd be very interested in your view of their technology. And I was wondering, have you heard about this kind of solar rectifying antenna? I have not, but it's now on my list of things to look into because <laughs> it sounds fascinating. There was also a comment from Quinn Martin, which immediately made me think this can't possibly be Quinn Martin of Quinn Martin Productions. But his comment I thought was uh, amusing because it, it falls in line with, I know, one of your, you talk about the intersection of technology and capitalism and the research and you know the market for it the two mm -hmm. driving each other. Yep. Um, and his comment was simply, thanks for this video. I've been doing research on emerging technologies to invest in. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's one of those sad, realistic, it's one of those sad kind of, it's just the way the world works. Money makes everything happen. So it's right. like some of this research is like, wow, that's mind bending stuff that we'll never see the light of day because they'll never be able to make a profit off of it. Right. It's money. Money makes this stuff happen. So you have to, it has to go from the lab to the real world in a practical way that can right. be monetized by a company or we just won't see it happen. Right. And the last comment I wanted to share was from Brad Quinn who wrote Matt, what about replacing the current glass on solar panels with transparent aluminum? My understanding is that the thermal conductivity of transparent aluminum is about 10 times that of solar panel glass. Mm -hmm. I know this is off subject of the video itself, but I thought it was an interesting question. No, it's an, it's an interesting idea. I, I, my, one of my next videos coming up is about specific solar technology, how solar panels are made and some of the advancements that have happened in the past year that are really kind of interesting in making the efficiency better. So it's kind of a interesting comment that's very topical for a video that's coming up. Right. So what I would say is stay tuned for that one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Was there anything that you came across that didn't make the cut in the video as far as so far along the edge of research that there's not a lot to discuss yet? 
like the stuff I teased out was the stuff I thought was the most interesting that looked like it had the biggest practical use, like Mm -hmm. around the solar panel stuff. There was a ton of just like we were talking about earlier, kind of like so out there. It's just kind of like, well, how are you going to make this a practical? What what's the? How is this going to impact us? It's just Mm -hmm. like that kind of stuff. It's like okay, great, You, you made something that can conduct electricity super well and redirect the flows of ions in ways that haven't been done before. But how are you, how is that going to apply to X, name X? Just come, just right. give me a, give me a sign as to what that's going to be. It's like, there was this stuff that was on a scientific point of view, interesting just, but it right. didn't seem to have any kind of practical right use yet. Like we've invented a process where we can make water turn yellow. And <laughs> yeah. The question would be like, to what end? Well, it's, it's one of those, it's like, there's definitely going to be uses, but it's still so early in some of these explorations. It's like, in my opinion, it was like, why bother talking about it? Because until right. there's something that looks like, oh, there's a path to making this a thing. It's in my opinion, it, I don't care. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a slow golf clap of well done, gentlemen, well done, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's the stuff like oh here's this group that made you know absorbs the moisture during the day during the night and then releases it during the day to keep the solar panel cool it's like oh my god and it increased the efficiency of the solar panel by 10 percent. it's like right. that to me is like holy cow that's awesome because that's a very practical use of it that could actually end up in a product in the next five to ten years that actually makes an impact on our daily lives so it's like the stuff i teased out was the stuff that i um I thought had the most promise and the rest of the stuff was just kind of too, still too high up in the sky. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So moving beyond the video and into ways to not research how to make a paint that removes the object from the room, but (laughs) toward how to keep yourself from feeling like you're in a sensory deprivation chamber. Do you have anything that you've been watching that you wanted to talk about? I know most of the world has been watching this too, but I watched Hamilton for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I know I've, I've already talked to you personally about this, but that musical earned every accolade. And it's one of those time, one of those rare times where it's like the buzz did not oversell mm-hmm. the product. It's like I watched that and was just absolutely blown away. By yeah. the complexity and the layering of the meaning of all of it from this very diverse cast representing a bunch of white slave owners and mm. the history of Hamilton and the contentious relationship between all these politicians, which is so timely to what's going on right freaking now. Mm-hmm. It just shows how chaotic and ugly at times American democracy is, but it also is kind of reassuring that we've been here for as long as we have. We survived those moments and Mm -hmm. we will most likely survive the moment we're currently in. Mm -hmm. But it's, it it was hopeful. It was heartwarming. It was tragic. It was, it was music. Yeah. yeah, And the music is just astounding. Yeah. And can I just say King George is, the highlight yeah <laughs> he's on stage for like five minutes but he is incredible and just steals the show uh there's this it, it's astounding and I, I tried listening to the soundtrack when it came out and the mm-hmm. the original cast recording came out 
I wasn't able to go see the show, but I got the album and I started listening to it. And I stopped after a couple of songs because I realized this is not the true experience. And it's yeah. like, I need to see it in addition to hearing it. And so I just shelved it until I had a chance to see something. And I'm so glad they made this. It's just, mm-hmm. it's also an incredible feat of filmmaking. The way they filmed it yeah. is astonishing. It, it's so well done. Yeah. Like I said to you, I don't know how they, how they had cameras get in as close in some moments as they did to mm-hmm. make it feel like you were standing on the stage and without there being, I, I don't know if there were performances where there were camera people dressed like ninjas walking around on the stage with the performers because it felt that intimate, but you don't get a sense that there actually was anybody on the stage when they do the wide shots. Um, yeah. And they did a masterful job of being able to show you the power of the staging. Um, it had the top down a, shots. Yeah. That's top like down shots. That, you don't, yeah, you, you would get, get that. that. The, yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. And there's the, the stage construction was, um, in the center of the stage were two concentric circles where they rotated in different directions. So they did all sorts of masterful changes of perspective during the show and having seen it in the theater, I was able to experience that, uh, in person and seeing how they were then able to combine that by adding the layer of the camera also being now its own concentric circle. So it Mm -hmm. was adding a third layer to the movement Mm -hmm. of, you know, when they did, uh, one of the best moments of that in the show for me is when you see the first duel and everybody starts off lined up in one way and then the circles move and that moves them apart from each other. So you yeah. get the sense that you're watching. It recreates the idea of an aerial shot that starts in close and then zooms out. But you're all watching people standing on a stage. It creates in certain ways movie effects Yeah, on a stage. And it's this marvelous staging. And I think the staging doesn't get credit. The directing in that way doesn't yeah. get credit um, because it's everything else is so good. And then it's the things that you don't think about until you've watched it and rewatched it and thought about it. And you're like, Oh my God, the costumes, the, like everything, everything is so spot on. Um, and, and, you know, as you said, it, it's one of those few times where the hype doesn't pass the reality. It has not, it lives up to it hundred percent. Yeah. I will go a very different direction from that. Mm Mm-hmm. And I will talk about something that is basically sort of, you want to shut off your brain, you want to sit in front of the TV, you want to watch people blow stuff up and fight in cool ways. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to recommend The Old Guard, which is on Netflix now. I just saw that today. I haven't watched it. I I saw the ad for it and I was like, what is that? Charlize Theron? What? Yeah. (laughs) It is based on a comic book, which was written by one of the top writers working in, in comic books right now, Greg Rucka. Uh, he's been responsible for a number of projects that I really uh, love. And I did not read this. He's also responsible for Stumptown, uh, mm-hmm. which is an ABC show. So that was another one of his graphic novels. This is the story of a group of people, a very small group. There's four of them. They're immortal. And so when they die, they immediately heal and come back. 
and they have spent hundreds of years. Some of them have spent thousands of years basically fighting in conflicts and literally picking the side that they think is right. And they don't know why they have this power. They don't know what they're supposed to be doing with it. They don't know what the greater plan is. And Mm -hmm. now they are living in a world, the modern 21st century world where the ability to stay hidden has become impossible. And so the story evolves out of this group of super soldiers with immortal abilities facing the fact that somebody now has figured out who they are and what they are and wants them. Mm -hmm. And so that's the jumping off point. And it is the fighting uh, sequences, the style of fighting. It's got a, you know, it's a John Wick crank, you know, any of those films where it's very fast choreography. Uh, It's fun. It's just mindless enough and just smart enough to find the perfect balance. You know, you have nice moments and Charlize Theron is a, is a excellent actress. Um, and she brings a lot of, uh, good humanity to a character who is just world weary. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know why I'm still fighting. I don't know what I'm fighting for. I don't know what this is all about. And the movie centers around the introduction of a new person to the team. So somebody discovers that they're immortal and they bring them in and like, we have to show you now how to do this what you are and it's mindless action fun with just enough to make you think about, yeah, what is the humanity here? So it engages in a lot of good ways and, and sort of, uh, fit the bill for me and my girlfriend last night where we were like, let's just sit down and watch something fun. And we had a, we had a good time with it. It was a lot of fun. Cool. The other thing I would like to mention is something that my girlfriend introduced me to. She has listened to previous seasons of this. I'm just now jumping in. I think it's the third season, which is a podcast called You Must Remember This. And it is an examination of the first hundred years of cinema going on deep dives into less lesser known stories. And what they are doing right now in this newest season is looking at the life and work of Polly Platt, who is a name that did not ring any bells for me as I first heard it. Uh, But she was at one point the wife of Peter Bogdanovich. Oh, yeah. And she had a hand in all of his early films, including What's Up Doc. One of the funniest uh, movies ever made, if you haven't seen it. (laughs) Last Picture Show. (laughs) Um, When their marriage broke up, she went on to do things like she was the producer, excuse me, she was the producer of Say Anything. She, yeah, she was involved in a number of really well-known films throughout her career. But she, as the podcast talks about, if she was a man, she would have been heralded as one of the greats in the field. As a woman, she was ignored 
just enough to keep her in the background. Oh, that's a and shame. The number of films, the number of of hit productions that she was a part of is is astounding. And the podcast points out after their marriage broke up, Peter Bogdanovich's career was never the same. No, he she went on to do, and he disappeared. Yeah. And he has pushed back hard on the idea that she had as much to do with his early successes as people think she does. Hmm. And what's fascinating about the podcast is it's done serial style. So it's, it's going to take a continuing look at her career and life. And so the first part introduced those elements to here's a, a bit of the background on this woman. And then it goes deep into her past and her childhood. And so it's examining the atrocious childhood she had, what took her to the theater, what took her to movies, how she, and it, the first part ends with her being a 21 year old widow moving to New York from Arizona. She's bounced around the country throughout her adolescence. She ends up in New York with the goal of, I want to be in movies and getting in to Broadway will lead me to the movies. Mm -hmm. And so it's a slow unrolling of her story and it is relying heavily on a unpublished memoir that she was writing which she ended up putting away at the end of her life, as her daughter said, because she thought it was just so much gossip and was a pointless Hollywood memoir. But what they are sharing from that memoir is breathtaking. It really, really is good. Huh. And as a fan of many of her movies that I did not know she was involved in, because you know I don't spend a lot of time looking at the producer credits on films that I enjoy. Um, the names of some of the films that they re referenced. And when they said, you know, what's up doc, say anything. I was like, this woman has been a part of my life and I didn't even know it. So I do recommend the, you must remember this podcast, the newest season. It I think is going to be a very worthwhile listen and I'm looking forward to hearing more of it. Good recommendation. Yeah. Sounds interesting. So let us know what you think. Let us know what you think about chicken wire or, <laughs> Two women holding a hole or <laughs> podcasts, movies, how you're staying sane. You can reach out to us through Twitter at still TBD FM. You can reach out to me directly at by Sean Farrell. You can reach out to Matt at Matt Farrell or at undecided MF. Please be sure to watch for the latest videos from undecided with Matt Farrell on YouTube. And you can find the podcast at still TBD.FM. Please subscribe. You can find us on all major podcast providers like iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. Be sure to give us a rating, a review, and share us with your friends because it really does help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew gives me chicken wire. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.